Have you started thinking about 2017 yet? You haven't yet. You know, at the beginning of the year, we start making plans, you know, maybe goals of what we want to see happen over the year. If I were to ask you, what do you think is going to happen to your life over the next year? You know, people have some thoughts, like, I think this is going to happen, I'm going to strive to get this done, and my goal is to accomplish such, such and such in my life. And one thing that I've learned about our plans is that no matter how much you plan for something and try to work it out, it never goes as you plan. It never does. I don't think anything ever goes the way that it plans. There's always some adjustments. Some things tend to be closer than others. But we make a plan and we think, in a year from now, I'm going to be here. And sometimes you end up with a new job in another part of the country or something. Or you end up meeting Mr. Wright or, or Mrs. Wright, your whole life is different. Or you get pregnant, and then the, everything's going to be different. There's so many things that you really can't predict about life. Nobody really knows what's going to happen in 2017. That's why I want to trust God. Because I feel more secure if I can know what's going to happen. But because I don't know, I have to trust God. I'll never know, so I have to rely on Him. Have you ever felt like, oh, today went so bad. I wish I wouldn't have gotten out of bed. We've all had those days. You might have felt like that about the whole year. You know, I don't know if 2016 was a good year for you or a bad year for you, but sometimes we just think, like, it got messed up. It didn't go the way I expected well, I think the Christmas story is about people's plans getting messed up. They're sure about what's going to happen. They're prepared for it. And their whole life plans get messed up. And it's really what happens in life. Think about this. Mary and Joseph, they're going to get married. So that's their plan for that year that was coming up. Okay, we're going to get married. Uh, I'm sure their plan was to have kids. And, you know, have a peaceful, quiet life. He's a carpenter, you know, doing carpentry work, living in Bethlehem where they grew up together, never planning to be in Nazareth. You know, just everything. They, they pretty much knew their life was set. And then she's pregnant, and it's not from him. And then it's a miracle where an angel comes and says, you're going to be pregnant. It's going to be a virgin birth. And check this out. The baby's the Messiah, God, coming to earth as a man. Whoa. First of all, how can you understand that? I, I, it's just too much to understand. But their whole life, all their plans got messed up. Nothing that they ever expected. Just in a moment, boom, one thing happens and your whole life's different. It could be a car wreck and your whole life's different after that. It could be just one thing that happens and everything's different from that point on. In their case, this happened where this virgin birth is going to happen, and their world will never be the same. They're going to have to end up uh, trying to escape to Egypt to keep Herod from killing their son. They're going to have to live in Nazareth way far away where they don't know anybody, they don't have family there, to, because they're afraid of what will happen. They're responsible for this child. I mean, it's a crazy, crazy life. It's long-term more fulfilling more remarkable, but still, I mean, the whole world's been turned upside down 
in a moment because they met Jesus, being their son, of course. But when you think about that, Herod had a similar thing where his life was messed up. Herod was a king. He wasn't even Jewish. He was the king because the Romans put him in power. So because of that, he was surrounded by enemies. The people that lived there hated him, and they really did want to assassinate him. You know, they would do, they, if they had a chance to, they would have killed him because they had a lot of resentment. He's not even Jewish. What's he doing being our king? It was like a mockery to them. They hated it. It made him hate Rome that much more. But he was so paranoid of being overthrown. He was paranoid with his own family. This guy was such a nut that during his lifetime as a king, he once thought that his own mom was plotting behind his back with one of his brothers to take over the kingdom. So he had his own mom put to death. His own mom. It gets worse. He saw his two sons. He got the idea that his two sons were plotting to take over against him. He had his two sons put to death. I mean, the guy was a big nutcase. Before it was over, something happened. He had his wife put to death. Now, you talk about someone paranoid. These uh, magi is what they call them. We, we call them wise men, following the star, traveling from the east. And these men reported to King Herod, like, where's the king that's being born? He said, king being born? What are you talking about? Because that star meant to them that their king was being born in their, in their land. They followed it to their land. And uh, the scribes were looking in the Bible, and they said, well, the, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. When Herod heard that, he was so afraid that there's going to be a king taking over that he sent his soldiers there, and they killed every baby boy two years old and younger. Killed all the baby boys. I mean, that's how crazy he was. So when he heard about Jesus, not knowing exactly who he was, that's what he does. He wipes out every, all the children. The religious leaders, they've been waiting for a Messiah. The Bible talks about the Messiah is supposed to come from the line of David. They've decided to interpret what that means as he's a warrior king. Because David was a warrior king. And David is conquered a lot of the land. And the, the country was really powerful under him. And they were in a situation where Rome was in power. And they hated the Romans. They hated the Roman government. They wanted to have a leader that could fight against the Roman government. You know, chase them out and get the land back. And we'll be a powerful country like we used to be in David's day. So, they're excited with, by this news that a Messiah has been born, or the Messiah has been born. So, there's an excitement there, and as Jesus starts gaining popularity, and, you know, they want to rally behind anybody they can that will fight the Roman government. So, they gather around to hear Jesus speak, and Jesus gets up and says, love your enemies. Their, their whole world's being turned upside down. It's not what they want to hear. Do good to those who despise you. When, you're, when they persecute you, pray for them. They said, no, this isn't what we want. This isn't what we're talking about. We want to, like, beat them up in battle. And he said, no, 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 return good for evil. When they treat you evil, return it with good. Love them like you would love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that he was saying was messing up their plans. The whole plans have been turned over. In fact, they rejected him. They got angry at him. 
you do miracles and all this, but this can't be God's will. You, you, you're, you're a false prophet. Because if it was from God, we would be taking on the Romans and we'd be killing them in battle. The complete opposite of everything that Jesus was teaching. So the whole world of what the Messiah was going to do and their view was being changed and messed up. The innkeeper, the innkeeper didn't plan for the census to be taken where everybody had to go to their homeland, their hometown, I mean, and they were taking a census, the government was. So Mary and Joseph have to go there. And there wasn't enough room, so he puts them out in the barn. Can you imagine for the rest of history, wherever he is, for the rest of history, he knows God came to earth as a man, and I stuck him out in the barn. <laughs> I didn't find a place. If I would have known who it was, I would have went to the barn and let him stay in my place. You know, or I would have at least invited him into my home and showed some mercy. There's not any space left, but you can stay with us. No, he wasn't willing to do that. We, do, we make decisions, and later on you find out, wow, what was I thinking? Uh, I, I, I didn't handle that right. And for the rest of eternity, they'll remember that they're the ones that stuck him out in the barn. The shepherds, just a regular night, out with the sheep, quiet, and then the light, the sky opens up and there's light and angels come down and singing and telling them, go to Bethlehem, the Savior is being born. Their whole life is going to be different after that. You'll never be the same. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen the sky open up and light come out in the middle of nighttime and angels come and tell me to do something. You're never going to be the same. Your whole life is going to be changed forever. They went from being regular shepherds to, they were known after that point as going and telling this news to everybody. They were so shocked. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. It changed the whole course of direction. They became a vocal, you know, a voice for God. Before then, as you read the story, it would imply that they were never like that before. There was that, like, they never gave much attention to being a voice for God. But that encounter changed them. Everybody around them knew that those people believed in God. It changed their whole life. Sometimes you go through things like that. Your spiritual walk is kind of your own personal walk. You know, it's my relationship with God. And you have an encounter with him that's different. And now you want to tell everybody else. That's a good thing. When an encounter with God gets you to the point so you want to tell other people about God, it's a great thing. I'm not talking about being on the side of the corner with the big Bible in your hand and saying, you know, repent. But I'm just talking about you want to share the good news with other people because it's affected your life so much. That's what happened to the shepherds. They were never the same. Not everything that happens to you is God's will. You know, we go through problems that aren't God's will, but we put problems on ourselves. Like just, I do dumb things that I don't believe God wanted me to do. I, I make stupid mistakes that I don't believe that God wanted me to make. And I suffer the consequences. So sometimes you're going through, your plans get messed up because of something you did. Like, oh, why did I do that? That really messed things up. Sometimes your plans get messed up because somebody does something evil. People do evil things to one another. Sometimes your plans get messed up because of nature. Nature runs, and if there's a forest fire and you have a home up there, you could lose your home. Sometimes it's nature, and sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's other people that mess up your plans. But sometimes it's God. 
Sometimes you have a plan, and God messes it up. Why would he do that? He says, you know what? I've got something bigger. I've got something better. You think that what you want to do is so good, but I, I, I've got a better idea. And this is going to bless you in ways that you could never imagine. There's just a lot of things that aren't from God. But today I'm talking about when your life gets messed up because of God. And he's messing it up. He's messing up your plans to get you in the direction that you need to go, to give you something bigger, something remarkable, something better. But when you're going through it, sometimes it feels like it's not good. Sometimes it feels like, like, God, what's going on here? Why is this business falling apart? I really felt like this was your will for me to start this. Why is it falling apart? God said, oh, because I have something bigger, have something better. I'm intervening to get you in a place where you're going to have a better life. But you can't see it at the moment. At the moment, you just have fear sometimes about what's happening. In Proverbs 19.21, it says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So it's saying, and make your plans. You should plan things. If you don't plan things, you're not going to be successful in this life. But it doesn't matter what you plan. You can plan this and that. If God doesn't want you there, he's going to do something to get you where he wants you. And like I said, I don't know what's going to happen in the year 2017. But I do know this. Your plans are going to get messed up. Your plans are going to get messed up. Your goals, it's not going to work out exactly like you're hoping. Things happen. You know, I'm a wrestling coach, and, you know, we always have plans. And next year, this is going to happen. Next year, that's going to happen. But every year, there's a kid that quits. And there's another kid that moves away. You know, you, you can never, you can't predict what's going to happen 12 months later. Things are never like you plan. But you trust God. But whatever you're planning, just, just know that your plans are going to get messed up. So when God changes your plans, what's he doing here? Well, number one in your notes, he's trying to get your attention. Sometimes God changes your plans to get, to get your attention. He's trying to get a hold of you. God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. Sometimes the only way that we'll listen to God is when there's pain involved. Like when things are easy and good... A lot of times we don't think about God. But when we're in pain, all of a sudden we're all ears. We're praying, God, I need your help. And God's willing to allow you to go through pain if that's what it takes for him to finally get you to stop and listen. I know for me, I'm the pastor of a church, and I pray a lot more when I'm like sick or suffering than I do when everything's good. I would assume it's the same with you. Boy, when, when you need help, you pray, pray, pray. When things are good, it's easy to kind of forget about God. So pain's a good thing if it helps me to get on track with God and say, wow, this really has got my life heading in the direction that I need to go. I wouldn't have even given God much attention if it wasn't for the pain. God loves you that much. He'll allow you to go through pain if that's what it takes to get you on the right track. He loves you that much. God's plan for Mary and Joseph, it was incredible. It's unbelievable, extraordinary, so outrageous that he had us in an angel because you wouldn't believe it otherwise. You can't believe it. It's just too crazy. But if an angel came, okay, now, now that's something I can accept now. 
Usually for us, God's not going to send us an angel. But God will work in extraordinary ways in your life to intervene, to guide you, to move you. But we have to listen. We can't be so busy that we don't have time to listen. The majority of the way that that God usually speaks to you is through the Bible. Like you read the Bible and he speaks to you to what it's saying. But God will also intervene in other ways that just shock you, to help you to know uh, that he's talking to you, that, to help you know that he's guiding you. Look at Psalms 81, verse 13. I wish my people would listen to me. That's the problem. Sometimes we don't listen. Sometimes we even know what the Bible says, and we ignore it. I know that's what the Bible says. I know that's the right thing to do, but I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And then we suffer the consequences. And Proverbs 16, 25, there is a path before each person that seems right, but, in the end, but, in, but it ends in death. There's a path that seems right. You have these moments that you, you just feel so sure about it. Like, I met this girl, and she's the one. And you're just so sure. Uh, she's the one. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to be married. I just know she's the one. And three months later, you're not, you've already broken up. And you're so sure. There's a path that seems right to you, and you're just so sure. You know, I know this business deal is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to my life. And not only does it, it becomes a total failure, maybe you end up having to file for bankruptcy. And you're thinking, like, everything, it just felt so right. It just felt so right. That's why you can't go by your feelings. You know, we have these things that we're just, we make our plans, and we get confidence in our plans, and we feel like this is what's going to happen, but it doesn't always, sometimes it ends in death. The business died. The relationship died. And we're thinking, what happened? God, why did you leave me? And I'm saying God didn't leave you. God didn't leave you. We're just so limited in what we see that we, in our minds, it can seem like such a good thing, and it doesn't mean it is. Because God's perspective is so much broader than mine, and I can have so much confidence in something, and it doesn't mean it's going to work. It could be a total failure. That's why my faith is in God, not in my own confidence. My faith is, I'm going to go for it, and if it fails, my faith can't be in my own confidence. It's got to be in God. God's in control. If it fails, that's okay. I believe God's still guiding me through it to lead me to where he wants me to be. It's like I have a three-year-old daughter, and I told her not to touch the stove. And she might think it would be cool to touch the stove. And she might think, Dad's always trying to prevent me from having fun. But I tell her that, and, I'm, and I stop her from touching the stove because I'm looking out for what's good for her. She might not get it yet. She might not quite understand what I'm talking about. But I'm not trying to ruin her fun. I have something better for her, and that's a life without being burnt. God has something better for you. I don't, when something fails, I don't believe that that's the end. I think that, okay, God has something better for you. And that's okay. That's better. And I keep going. When God says, here's something that you need to do, sometimes we think that we know better. Because I have this idea, God, I know what would make me happy. 
Do you know, you don't know what will make you happy. You don't know what will make you happy. You say, of course I know what's going to make me happy. No, you don't. Sometimes the thing that you may think is going to make you happy is it's too low by what God wanted to do. God wants to do so much more. And we shoot for so low. Boy, that would make me happy. You know, wow. You know, I'd be so happy if I got that. I stick, it, stick with this and I get a $2 an hour raise. I'd be so happy. God's saying, no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make you lose that job because over here is something that's going to be great. And there's going to be two months before you get that other job. You're going to have two months of suffering and praying and worry. But if you stick with me, watch what's going to happen. Then you end up with a job $15 an hour more. You know? But we don't think like that. We, we, we see the circumstances we're in, and we don't understand. God has something bigger, better. And what we're shooting for, that $2 an hour raise, he's saying, that's penis. I've got something more for you. That's why we want, to have, we want to have faith in God and believe in him to do bigger than what we can imagine. He can do so much better. And everything that God does or allows you to go through, even though he doesn't do evil things to you and other people do, he'll even use that for your good. You know, he's not going to use it for your bad. What they meant for evil, he'll use it for your good in some way or another. When God does things, he does it out of love. What he's doing is he doesn't want you to have a broken heart. He doesn't want you to have a broken body, a broken marriage, a broken relationship, broken dreams. That's why he says, don't do this over here. Don't do that over there. He's actually looking out for what's going to give you a healthier, better life. That's why when we don't listen to him, it just causes us to have heartache and pain and problems that were unnecessary. So you've got these pants and goals, and you're so excited, which is great, and then they fall apart. Well, God's maybe trying to get your attention to say, okay, now that I've got your attention, let me get you focused on where I really want you to be, where you're going to have real success, where you're going to have real fulfillment, where you're going to be able to take care of your family's needs at a better level. Now that I've got your attention, he can't get your attention before it falls because you're so sure, you have so much faith in what you have your eyes on that you don't really have faith in God. Your faith is in, if I get this job, if I get this, if I get that, and you're so set on that that you couldn't hear the guy. If he's screaming at you, you wouldn't hear it. So he allows it just to fall apart, and now you have to say, God, what's going on? He said, okay, now that you're listening, let's come up with the real plan. Praise God he does that because I'm good at messing up my life. <laughs> Praise God he'll let that happen so I can get on a better path. Number two is he has a better plan. His plans are better. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not pl plans to harm you or hurt you, I mean. I will give you hope and a good future. We don't know what's going to happen in 2017, but we do know that he has a better plan. You know, he has good plans for us. And no matter what we plan, if it doesn't go the way that we're thinking it's going to go, but we're seeking God and we're pursuing God, it's only because he has something bigger and better and more rewarding 
and more difficult. Have you ever noticed that? Everything that's bigger, better, and more rewarding is always more difficult. The more difficulty, usually the higher the reward. You see it in sports like athletes, you know, the ones that work out and they do all this extra time and you, you hear what they do to succeed and the reward is great. These professional athletes are training, training, training and the, more, the harder they work, the higher income they make as well. The reward is great. Well, it's like that with us and God. I think of Mary and Joseph. They would have been very happy to get married, have babies, settle down in Bethlehem and just live life. But God had something bigger. There's nothing bigger than being the parents of the Messiah. God has something better. There's nothing better than this baby is God. Come on. What? What? How, what? What's that? There's nothing better than that. There's nothing more rewarding than the, what the experience that they're going to have. It's phenomenal, but there's nothing more difficult. Can you imagine the stress? I'm saying, I've got to parent this child. Oh, I better not blow this one. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. And now, so you have the Messiah, and you're all excited. And then you find out Herod's trying to kill you. So you run to Egypt, and you escape in time, and your child doesn't get killed. And you're hiding out in Egypt in a land that they speak a different language with a culture that you're not that comfortable with. And then when Herod dies, you come back into the country, and you hang out in the northern part over in Nazareth, so that way you're far away from uh, Jerusalem. So just in case something like this happens again, we're out of that area. So you're not living with your family. You know, in those days, people lived with their family in the same city pretty much all their life. But you can't do that. Your life gets so much more difficult. But the reward is great. It's uh, God wants something bigger for your life. God wants to give you something more rewarding God wants to do something that would be more significant, more satisfying, and more difficult. Always is going to be more difficult, guaranteed. If what you're shooting for isn't difficult, then you're not shooting for very much. And the reward is going to be very weak. If what you're shooting for is difficult, the reward is great. God has something great for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9, no one has ever seen or heard or even imagined what wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. Can you imagine that uh, Mary and Joseph, no one has ever heard or even imagined what wonderful things God has prepared. It was just beyond their ability to imagine that this could even happen, that God would choose to come to the earth as a man as a baby, grow up and die on the cross to pay off the penalty of our sins. And that somehow that's God and God's in heaven at the same time, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, how do you get a grip on that? That God would do that. That God would love us so much and that you'd be the parents of this child. That's what Christmas is about. That's why it's, a, it's celebrated throughout the world. It's the day that God came to earth. God's plan is harder. God's plan is more confusing. God's plan is more difficult. God's plan is more painful. But it's always going to be more significant. 
more rewarding. It's like the, they're saying, no pain, no gain. And it's true. No pain, no gain. Mary had to go through the being pregnant and not married. I don't know how bad that would have been in those days. You know, it would be off the charts bad, I'm sure. Having to go to Bethlehem the day before having delivering the baby, having to ride a donkey. Can you imagine that? Nine months pregnant, trying to ride a donkey. And, and then when you have your baby, instead of being at home with your mother and aunts to helping to deliver the baby, you're in a stable, a barn. There's no place to put the baby, so you find the feeding trough and layman. What kind of... That's not the way the God of the universe should enter the world. Shouldn't he enter through a palace? It should be some famous king or queen in a beautiful palace, and he enters that way, and that's not what he did. It was a very humble... Uh, entrance into this world. Why would God come to earth as a baby? Because he doesn't want to scare you. He wants to save you. He doesn't want to scare you. If God came, boom, we'd be scared to death. He came as a baby because he's not trying to scare you. He's trying to save you. He came because he loves you. There's some things that are going to happen in life, and you're going to think, God, why is this happening? And the answer is, even though you can't feel it at the time or see it at the time, and he's saying, I have something better. I have something better. Trust me. Have something bigger. Have something more rewarding. It's going to be more difficult. But trust me. Trust me in this. So during 2017, you're going to have plans, and somebody in this room is going to lose their job. Guaranteed. I mean, somebody will. And what I'm trying to say is, trust God. Trust God. If it's only because he has something bigger and better for you. You know, someone, you know, you might be, a, you might have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you think, oh, this is great, whatever, and they break up. The relationship breaks up and you thought like, I thought for sure that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. These are the things that happen in real life, right? These things happen. And what's God saying? Trust me. Trust me. Because plans don't ever go the way that you expect. Number three, he's saying, learn to trust me. That's what it's all about. It's a test of our faith. God is saying, when things fall apart, when your plans get messed up, do you trust me now? If I start a business and it's going really well, it's easy not to trust God. <laughs> but if I put invest at my savings and everything into that, and it's falling apart, and I feel like I'm going to lose everything, that's, you know, like, we get worried, we, and God is saying, you have to trust me. Well, Lord, I'm about to lose my life savings. Uh, you've got to turn it around. You've got to turn it around. And he says, I'm not going to turn it around. You're going to lose your life savings. You've got to trust me. But God, how can this be good? You've got to trust me. I don't know. I know Story after story of people that have been through things like this where they end up having to move to another place like three months later, and that's where they meet the right person. They get married. They have kids together. Everything's great. They have family. But in the moment when they were in that situation, the world was falling apart, and they, they felt like God had left them. And the only way they would have made those decisions to be where they ended up at was to go through what they went through. 
You know, it didn't make sense when I came to California. I was praying. I was a college student. I was offered to get my master's degree at Tennessee Tech University for free. I just had to teach two classes there. So I was going to teach two classes there. My living expenses, everything was covered. So it was a good deal. I was going to get my master's. Not cost me a penny. Free. Everything was set. Good deal. I had job offers in Georgia teaching because my degree was in education. Good deal. I'm praying to God, and I said, you know, God, uh, do you think I should get my master's degree here? It's paid for and everything. That's probably an opportunity I can never get again. Maybe I need to take that. Uh, but I'm kind of tired of school. Maybe if I, part of me wants to teach in Georgia and teach a couple years just to get a break from school and then go back. But I'm afraid to do that because I might not ever get a deal like this again for a master's degree. And here's what I heard in my mind. I heard an expression. I want you to go to California and do college student ministry. That's what I heard. Now, I was at Tennessee Tech. I had started a Bible study there. Started with, there's four of us on the first, uh, meet, uh, first day that we met. It, we called it the Monday night Bible study. And it just kept growing and growing. Now there was over 100 kids coming at the college student. Just a Bible study that I started, but it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, um, I, and I had a heart for college students. And I, had, and I knew that one out of every seven college students were in California. But I thought, that messes up my plans. Because I don't really want to live in California. Now, realize this is before I spent a whole winter here without freezing to death and thought, I'll never leave California. <laughs> so, but I said, you know, back when you grew up in Tennessee, when you hear the word California, you think it's filled with a bunch of, what did they say, nuts and fruits. And they're talking about the people. <laughs> <laughs> Those are things that they'll say, you know. And then I was thinking, I, I don't, I wouldn't fit in there. I'm a country boy. You know, they're not going to, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. So uh, I thought to myself, like, wow, could that really be from God? And I wasn't for sure, but I prayed about it, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? My uncle lives in Long Beach. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a trip out there just to see and uh, I'm going to just take a trip out there, and what I'll do is I'll uh, check out and see if I can get a teaching job in the Los Angeles School District. Los Angeles was the only city I really kind of knew, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know. Um, I'll see if I can get a teaching job there and uh, check out UCLA campus, check out and see what they have there, and maybe start a, because that's a school that I knew of. I had heard of UCLA. So maybe I could go there and start a Bible study there and see what happens. I'll just check it out during the summer before I make my final decision. I had, I decided to go for the master's degree and not take the teaching job. But I said, I'll just check that out. So here's what happens. I make plans. A week, I'm going to be out in California in a week in Long Beach at my uh, uncle's house. There's a guy named Johnny Pons who was a year older than me at the school, a, a grade older. And he went to Africa for a summer mission trip after he graduated. And I knew he went there. I never saw him again. What happened is, after that Africa mission trip, uh, he found a mission work opportunity to work with college students in Long Beach, California. <laughs> he had been working there a whole year. He was praying around the same time I was praying and about like what they were doing there. And when he was praying one day, it popped in his mind. Jimmy would be great out here working with college students.
but he didn't know how to contact me. So he got in an airplane, flew to Nashville to find me, got in his car, drove to Tennessee Tech University, um, went to the dorms, and found out that I had moved out of the dorms. All my friends that they knew me on campus didn't know the new location that I just happened to be living at because they didn't know yet. And he couldn't find me, so he went to the school administrators to find my address. They wouldn't give it out. He exhausted, looked for me. He didn't know what to do. And he thought, like, I felt like it was maybe God speaking to me. I guess it wasn't. So this is a guy that doesn't like to drink, like Coca-Cola and that type of stuff too much. He's not that type of guy. And he's driving. He decides to drive home. And he says he's got this urge to stop at the 7-Eleven and get a big gulp, <laughs> something he never does. <laughs> he goes into the 7-Eleven, and there's a guy named Mark Chen there. He's a six-foot-four Chinese guy who happens to be my roommate at the new house. He said, hey, Mark, how are you doing? They talked to each other. He said, I'm looking for Jimmy. Have, have you know any idea where he is? Yeah, we're roommates. Now, what are the chances of that? So he doesn't drink at the big gulp because he didn't really want one after all. <laughs> he comes over to the house, knocks on my door. I let him in and everything. And you can imagine my mind when he's saying, hey, I'm doing college student ministry in California and it's at Cal State. No, he was at uh, Long Beach City College, but they're looking for people that will start a ministry and, and get things going at Cal State Long Beach. My head's gone because I know that I'm going to be in Long Beach with my uncle in a week. So my head's going, I'm spinning like, whoa, you know, do, 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 do. You know, what is that? So then uh, uh, I end up coming out here and, and I, took, I took the job. I, I already knew I was going to take the job no matter what because it just, I already knew that God had spoken. You know, but my whole life got messed up. My whole life got messed up. I was a teacher in, I was, I was a teacher in, you know, I was going to be a teacher in the Southeast there and get my master's degree. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. But the whole thing got messed up. I came out here and started doing student ministry, then eventually ended, um, became a pastor. You know that I've never been to seminary yet? It's one of those things I've never gotten around to yet. But God just worked that out. Everything, even a church hiring me before I went to seminary. But you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. But I tell you this, whatever my plans were, they really got messed up. It's been difficult. It's difficult to go into full-time ministry. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done, the most satisfying thing I've ever done. It's way bigger than anything I was going to do back there. It's way better than my goals. My life is so much happier. You know, so you never know what's going to happen. But you do know this. Whatever happens, you seek God. You pursue God. You trust him. Your life will take a turn like that. One prayer, just one prayer. God, should I go to get my master's degree? Or, you know, one prayer changed everything. Can you imagine me telling my dad, who wasn't a Christian yet, he says, okay, oh, dad. You know, tell him, dad. I've decided not to uh, take the teaching jobs in Georgia. And he says, good, good idea, son. That master's degree will help you longer. And, you know, way to go. And he said, but dad, I've decided not to do that either. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to be a missionary in California, and I need to raise up sponsorship. Can you support me $100 a month? <laughs> Can you imagine my dad? He looked at me like I was out of my mind. Like, what's happened to my, you know, son, where are you? To the world, it seems ridiculous. To me, it's given me the best life I could ever imagine. So 
And even things I never thought I'd be able to do. I always wanted to be a high school wrestling coach, and that was one of the reasons I was teaching. Out here in California, they actually, the roles are different. You don't have to be a teacher to be the coach. You can just be a, a walk-on coach. They allow that here. Back there, they don't allow it. So even those things I thought I was giving up, I didn't have to give up. You know, so it's, and I like to travel. And through the church doing mission trips all over the world, I've been able to travel all these places that I wouldn't have been able to do before. So it, it just God's going to bless you more than what you can ever imagine. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hebrews 11, 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. So you want to please God? Seek him with all your heart and trust him. That's what faith is. You trust him. God, I don't know why this is happening. I'm trusting you. You don't make God happy by religion or by rituals. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the Bible says, do the ritual, like get baptized. That's good. That makes him happy. But what I'm trying to say is you make him happy when you have faith in him, when you trust him, when he says to you, go in this direction, and you listen and do it. Okay, God, I trust you. I'll do what you say. Because I could live a really moral life and not trust God, Right? So it's not just living a moral life, it's trusting him. God, I really trust you. Somehow, some way, you're using this for the good, and you really have your faith in him. In Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that God causes everything to work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Not everything works out good. There's a lot of things that happen that are very bad, but this is saying that we know that God causes everything to work for the good. Someone does something bad to you, God can use it for your good. It's not good what they did. What they did was bad. But in his great mercy and his great power, he uses it for the good. I think of, you know, people like, is it good for someone to have an alcohol problem? No. But I know people that have gone through recovery, and they help a lot of other people go through recovery now because they understand it because they've been there. Like, I could probably not help an alcoholic like they could because they know what they're going through. They've been there and they've recovered. And that bad thing in their life is now being used for the good. Is God saying, oh, it was great that you were an alcoholic? No, no, no. God is saying, those things that happened in your life, as bad as they were, I'm willing to use them for the good in your life if you let me. Mothers against drunk driving. She lost her child, so she started through a drunk driver. So then she started this thing going into high schools and teaching you know, kids not to drive drunk. And the, after that started going nationwide, the amount of uh, deaths due to drunk driving for those teenage years has dropped significantly. And that's the only factor that they can add in, that, that, that they don't know what else has done it other than that. But it cost her son. Is it good that her son was killed in a car accident from a drunk driver? No. When a teenager was driving drunk, no, that's not good. That's a horrible thing. Did it ruin her life or did, she, or did she use it for the good? She took something that was so horrible and used it for, for the good. And maybe one of us is alive today because of it. You know, we don't know. But things don't, they might look bad, but he'll use it for the good if you let him, no matter what it is. No matter what evil someone's tried to do to you. He'll use it for the good if you let him. Trust him to use it for the good. It's not good what happened, but he'll use it for the good. How do I know when I'm not trusting God? One way to know is fatigue. If you're tired all the time, 
that's a sign, a warning sign that maybe you're not trusting God. Because maybe it's like, oh, I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to work. And there's no trust in God. You have to have balance in life. You're putting too much faith in your own efforts. You do have to work hard, but you have to have balance. Even the Ten Commandments say take one day off. If you're frustrated all the time, that's like you don't trust God. You're upset about this, and you're upset about that, and you're upset about this happening. You've got to trust God that some of those things are going to happen, and you can't let it ruin your life. You know, you, you can't just let those things ruin you. And another thing is fearful. If you're worried and you have a lot of anxiety, you're not trusting God. You're not trusting that he's going to take care of it. So you want to be aware of those things. You want to be aware of the, what Jesus came to do on Christmas. He's our Savior, right? What is he saving us from? It's not just eternal life that he wants to bring us to. But he's saving us from things that on earth. When I have faith in God, he saves me from my own failures, from fatigue, from frustration, fear, doubt, depression, resentment, anger, loss, fear, worry, guilt, shame, Resentment, bitterness, all those things, many more. He didn't just come so that you could go to heaven. He came so that you can have a better life here. Isn't life better here when you can let go of bitterness and get your happiness back? Isn't life better here instead of worrying about things you trust God? Isn't life better instead of carrying guilt about things that you did in the past you feel forgiven? Isn't life better? He came so that you have a great life now. What good is Christmas? God says, Merry Christmas. I've, here's what your gift. It's a Savior. It's a Savior. What good is Christmas if he gives us the Savior? And it's like we never open up the pre- present. We never receive it. So we continue in life feeling guilty about things, resentment, you know, resentment and anger, worry and anxiety, hopelessness. When you have faith... It changes all that. I have hope. When I have faith, I don't worry about it because God's in control. When I know that he's forgiven me, I can forgive you. When I know he's forgiven me, I can let go of the guilt. It's one thing to put my faith in Jesus and go to heaven, which is great. But I I can still ruin my life here on earth. Do you agree with that? You can know for sure that you're going to heaven because of faith in Jesus. And at the same exact time, your life on earth can be miserable because of lack of faith in daily circumstances. So even though you know you're going to heaven, I put my faith in God, you're worried about tomorrow all the time. That's a horrible way to live. Or even though you know you're going to heaven, you can't forgive your friend. So you're bitter. Why would you want to live a bitter life? Year after year after year, or however long that bitterness is. You want to forgive them and let it go. Or you think of things you did in the past, and you're always feeling guilty. Can you imagine? That's a horrible way to live. I'm always feeling guilty about this. I'm, no, that's, that's why the Savior came. He came it's, a, it's a gift for us here on earth as well. It's not just about heaven. In Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for his faithful love endures forever. God is going to work out a plan for your life. And it's not because your love endures forever. It's because his love endures forever. God loves you so much, his love endures, that he's going to work out that plan. What's your part? Trust him. Trust him. You say, God, I don't know what the future holds, but I know you hold the future, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to believe in you to help me. With that, I want us to pray. 
And I want this Christmas season to be a time that we really receive the gift. Like, he came so that these frustrations I go through can be let go of. The fears, the failures. He came to give me a good life here. So that way, when Christmas is here, it's, it, it reminds us of those things. And not just for now, of course, but for the rest of our life. That we live the type of life where we let those things go because we're trusting God. What a great Christmas gift. Jesus came to take away those things. Let's pray. Dear God, I really want to know you better. We want to know you better. We realize that you try to get our attention and sometimes we don't listen. You have a great plan for us and we sometimes want to pursue our plan so much that we don't hear you. I'm thankful, Lord. We're thankful that there's times that you let our plans mess up so that we can get on the right track. That you'll actually use those things to bring us to the area that we need to be in. Lord, there's so many times that we're confused. We don't know what to do. We're making a commitment to seek you and to just trust you. That's all we can do sometimes. And Lord, since it is Christmas time, we want to receive the gift of what it's really about. The Savior. He came to save us from ourselves, Lord, so that we can have a great life here. And I want a great life here, Lord. So, Lord, we lift this up to you. We make a commitment to follow you and receive your gift. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.